who's ready to rock today, Fire Nation? JLD here, and welcome to episode 1908 of EO Fire, where I chat with entrepreneurs on fire seven days a week. And now let's chat with today's featured guest, Oren Claff. Oren, are you prepared to ignite? I ignited the second I started hearing your voice in the introduction. I like literally engulfed in fire already. The bestseller, Pitch Anything, propelled Orn into national recognition, and he is approached by fans daily in the streets while he's driving to work or riding in the elevator, adding to the tens of thousands of thank you, this stuff really works emails that he gets. He often keynotes at Wall Street events, and he recently replaced the Richard Branson as the keynote event for entrepreneur.com or in taking a minute filling some gaps from that intro and give us a little glimpse of your personal life yeah so i mean my personal life since the book is a little crazy i'm in banana republic buying underwear and somebody shoves their head in my face and they're, are you, you orange claff like uh no the uh the orange claff you're looking for is buying his underwear at neiman marcus that has been sewn by monks that live in the top of the himalayas <laughs> I'm just throwing clap buying underwear in Banana Republic. But, no, I mean, that's said, you know, um, Whole Foods, Banana Republic, everywhere, because Pitch Anything has really changed the way this generation is going into meetings. And they've stopped supplicating. They've stopped begging. They've stopped saying please and thank you. And uh, we prepared so hard and and supplicating to buyers and investors and everything. And it's it's changed the way they view themselves and when you change the way you view yourself and the way you behave, then other people treat you with respect. And so it's brought respect to an entire generation of entrepreneurs, and I'm happy about that. Fire Nation, the book is flipping phenomenal. And if you're recognizing Oren's voice, well, that's because you probably remember episode 458. It was actually one of the most commented on episodes of Entrepreneur on Fire history. And that's saying a lot considering now 1,450 episodes later, episode 1,908, Orn is joining us again. So this is a treat. We had an amazing pre-interview chat, which my head's already popping off about, which I love. But Orn, I want to kind of focus this now on today, right now. What is your area of expertise? What's your genius? What's that zone of fire that you have? Yeah, that's a great question. And also, since I'm a regular hair, you know, I, I pop in every 1,400 episodes. Okay, listen. So what I do is I help companies prepare to get on the phone or go to meetings in a high-stakes pitch situation. When they're asking for money, they're asking for a contract, they're asking for an order, they're trying to make some big uh, high-stakes deal or inflection point and get something important for their business – And it's not the time to wing it. It's not the time to say, we did it once before. We think we know how to do it. It's the time when you need the not messing around crew to come in and make a deal happen. So I prepare companies to do that or individuals. And usually that's around raising money, selling a company, buying pieces of a company or a big account. And so how you go into those meetings, how you get those meetings, what you do in them Minute by minute and how you sequence your information is absolutely critical to 
conversion or closing, whatever you want to call it. And most people think the closing happens at the end, but the closing has nothing to do with the end. I think as we said before, I don't have a close. I'm one of the most well-regarded sales authors, consultants, whatever you want in the world, right? The bitch anything is in China and seven different dialects and in Japanese and in Italian and French and Romanian and everything. Like I don't know if there's somebody better than me at closing sales and I don't know any closes. And what that tells you is it's how you sequence the information and how you open that's the correct thing to do. And that's what I am helping companies do. Fire Nation, we talk pretty often here about finding a niche and just dominating that niche. What is your niche, Fire Nation? Like, think about it. Like, look at what, what Orrin has done by just dominating this niche and, and what he's built off of that, replacing Richard Branson as a keynote event for entrepreneur.com. I mean, the sky is literally the limit when you become the best at what you do in the world. Now, we have a lot to talk about today, Orrin, and you have a lot of value to share, but let's just kind of now talk about how attention actually works in these sales situations. Like, how does that flow look? Like, what is the correct order of operations? Yeah, so I mean, I th I think a little bit of background on this. Your ancient ancestors, you know, call 50,000, 100,000, 150,000 years ago. That is where really the behaviors that you have today, they're just skinned, right? In clothes and in uh, avatars and in cars and in money and everything like that. But the behaviors that you exhibit were actually formed called 100,000 years ago, right? 100,000 years ago, uh, you would have lived in a community of about 300 people. You might not have seen 500 people in your entire life. Right. Might not have seen 500 people in your entire life. Today, you you know, if you ride the subway in a large city or you go to a conference, you're going to see 500 people in the first hour of your day. I just spoke in front of a thousand people in Vegas and I was like, this is like mind blowing right here. This is a lot. It's mind blowing, right? I've spoken to a thousand people. I spoke for Tony, 3,000 people. Uh, 5,000 people. And, and, um, we have no mechanism to sort that out. So anyway, attention, uh, when, uh, when you go to talk to somebody, they are so overwhelmed by the number of people and social relationships and people in the social layer cake that they are thinking about, relating to, want something from them, that they want something from. They are not in your swim lane. So you have got to do something to get people to stop being overwhelmed by all the things, the, the social interactions around them, which are too many for the brain to understand, absorb, and focus on you directly. That is why when you start, hey, we're a great app, or we're the number one app for uh, you know, finding furniture online, and we were awarded by <laughs> Wired Magazine, and you know, Elon Musk is our uh, you know, advisor, and we have, we're getting 5,000 users a week. The mind of the other person, as important as your information is to you, they can't – they're not in your swim lane. All they hear is blah, 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 <laughs> thinking about their stuff. So right. the point is the most important artillery, the most important thing you have to leverage the mind of another person, you waste in the first two minutes because you don't know what else to say. So I would say a takeaway is everything that you start with – in a presentation, I would probably move 50 to 60% of the way in, right? So if you had a slider and you said zero to 100%, and maybe that was 30 minutes, right? I would move everything that you say in minute three to minute 15. And so it begs the question, uh-oh, Warren, John, 
what do I say between minute zero and minute 15 when I want to say the good stuff? And that is about attention. People have to have context. They have to be paying attention to you. You have to be in their headspace. They have to be in your swim lane before you use the leveraging information you have to convince them to want and desire the thing that you have. So what does that look like? Like those 15 minutes, like what would be maybe a quick example of something that you've used in the past or one of your successful clients has used to really fill that 15 minutes with the right stuff? I don't think people can pay attention to you until two things have happened. Some of this we talked about last time, but we'll just do a quick refresher. It's a few years ago. My, my audience needs a refresher. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, until you send John $49, you, you cannot. No. <laughs> All right, listen. The only thing that would in, – in ancient times, you had to be hypervigilant all around you. Was it a saber of the tiger? Was it a you know, tetradactyl coming out of the sky? Um, was it another villager coming to take your stuff? Remember, 25% of the male population below the age of 30 was wiped off the map through brutal tribal infighting mm. in those days. Right, call it 50,000, 75,000 years ago. So you were hypervigilant. Anything that moved, you paid attention to immediately. So what is the one thing that could stop you from paying attention to everything that moved? It was information about change. In those days, you had to really understand and uh, in your mind, anything that involved change in the social environment, you had to pay attention to because your status could be lowered and if your status got into the bottom 25% of society, it is very likely that you would not survive the year. If your status got to 25%, the last, the bottom 25% of society, it is not likely that you would survive the year. Okay, so anything related to status snaps people into it, their own status um, and, and how they uh, where they are in the dominance hierarchy immediately snaps people to attention, right? And so the way to start a presentation in my mind is, uh, you know, whatever it is today, uh, I mean, give me a product, John. So I just have something to focus on an ice cube tray and uh, okay. An ice cube tray. So <laughs> you today, put me on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, that's fine. Um, it's <laughs> critical, a, a critical item whose importance to society cannot be understated. <laughs> Trey, uh, but uh, that's fine. Today, um, because food quality is in such suspect and the industrial food machine is producing food of such low quality that nutrient quality is the number one thing you have to worry about. And the moment you put something of suspect quality into your fridge and that fridge is not regulating its temperature, you could be putting not only unhealthy things in the body but harmful, all right? Uh, and so the one of the most important changes is how uh, refrigerators can plug into the net and through machine learning and artificial intelligence learn how to control the temperature of your fridge and that will feed your family better. That will give you the nutrients you need. And you, those people who cannot receive good nutrient quality will drop to the bottom of the social food chain. They won't function well. They won't be able to think well. They'll hold the, the most menial jobs and have the least economic opportunity. And it ties back to nutrient quality. 
Okay, so that's how I might open up a presentation in terms of uh, you know ice cube tray or refrigeration or something like that. In terms of what is changing and what could move you backwards in terms in in your social position, that will make people pay attention. So every single product can be put in context of the social hierarchy and change. What is changing in society that if you don't choose around this product correctly, you will fall back or lower in the uh, uh, social hierarchy. So accounting software, right? Those people who don't choose the right accounting software, right, um, will have the um, will spend the most amount of time doing their taxes, have the least pay the most amount, and really it is a backward slide in your social position if you cannot do your taxes correctly. You have less resources available, you have less time to do your job, and it is uh, it is those people who get accounting software right that move to the top of their organization, that move to the top of their community, and move to the top of society. So, I mean, I'm aggrandizing it, but every single product, service, application, and company can be put in some kind of changing social context. I mean, I just ordered 12 ice cube trays from Amazon and fired my CPA while you were just talking, Orange. So something you're saying is working. Fire Nation, I think he gets it. And one thing that you are really good at spotting, Orn, are mistakes. And you're seeing a lot of mistakes that people are making out there. So share with Fire Nation a couple of the big mistakes that you're seeing. You know, these are things that you're usually having to fix for other people. What are those? Yeah, so I think in uh Within this context is sort of not having the first 500 words written out. So I am talking at a pace right now, and I think you probably uh, about the same pace as me, yeah. say 130, 140 words a minute. Okay, so I think of everything in terms of word count. Word and Google Docs have, you know, word count. So 500 words is three and a half, four minutes of talking, depending on how you range your pace, right? Uh, if you look at 500 words in an email or on a page, you're like, wow, there's nothing there. But that's five minutes of talking. <laughs> so when you come in and you have uh, an opening that's prepared and you own it and it feels fresh, not like you're reciting it. right? It's just 500 words, but you've got it committed to memory and you open big. It puts people on notice. Hey, this is a real presentation. I'm in the hands of a professional. There's something to learn here. This is a real presentation in which I'm going to learn something, and I'm glad I came. Right. So the mistake is to come in and open up with uh, rapport. Hey, guys, how's it going? Yeah, great. So um, I love the building here, and the view is great from the office. Uh, you guys surf or you skateboard or what? You know, or um, what, uh, what do you guys do on the weekend? Or how do you take the train in? Right. So that kind of rapport seeking is validation seeking behavior. So the mistake is to come into a meeting, to come into somebody's environment, to get on Skype and engage in validation seeking behavior. You'll call it rapport, right? But I'll call it looking for a safe space or looking for approval. The mistake is not having content that you know is good, that you've doubled down on, that you've learned and you can fire off a meeting with and have predictable results with it. You can see people who start off with validation, seeking behavior, seeking approval, don't have a presentation and they're hunting, they're seeking a safe space to begin talking in about their product. 
right? Until they have that safe space. And that safe space is sort of a buyer or a partner or an investor uh, being nice to them, acknowledging that they're excited about the product. And then you see people kind of flow into or, or start talking about their features. So the mistake is not having a good, solid, prepared intro that is known to work and feels natural. Fire Nation, if you think Oren's been dropping value bombs, you're right. And guess what? He's got more coming up when we get back from thanking our sponsors. Quick question for all the marketers listening. What's your address? My friend Billy Jean wants to send you something in the mail. It's small, blackish, and if used properly, it might deliver some serious ROI for the next 100 listeners who go to copyourads.com. Billy Jean is going to mail you his best performing Facebook funnels for free. You just cover the shipping. Once you stick this flash drive into your computer, you'll have instant access to the fitness funnel that got a single location over 500 new members before they even opened their doors to the public, the real estate funnel, which just generated 93 buyer leads, dozens of private showings, and 300 open house attendees for two open house dates. The campaign that brought a chiropractor 34 new patients in two months and tripled his investment and 17 other funnels in different niches that he and his clients spent millions of dollars testing. Visit copyourads.com to take Billy Jean up on his generous offer. There are a lot of painful tasks that come along with running your own business, like payroll and benefits. Like you, I don't have the time to become an expert in things like taxes and regulations. Good thing there's Gusto, a company that makes payroll, benefits, and HR easy for modern small businesses. Gusto not only saves you time, but they're reliable and they have great service. In fact, four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto, and 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run payroll. Imagine having that peace of mind when it comes to delivering for your employees. You no longer have have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. Right now, Gusto is offering Fire Nation an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Visit gusto.com slash fire to sign up today. That's gusto.com slash fire. And don't wait. The end of the year is the easiest time to switch payroll providers. So, Oren, we're back, and man, I'm taking notes because I'm actually about to leave for a 40-day trip overseas. I'm speaking in Australia, and then in London, I'm going to New Zealand, and I honestly believe my biggest flaw um, on presentations is that first 15 minutes because I do those things. You were talking about those rapport. I'm trying, I'm trying to like make a couple quick jokes, like get people to raise their hands, and, and, and I'm just doing it all wrong. It doesn't feel right, and hearing your voice and how you're walking through it, it, it obviously to me now is just not the best way to do things. So let's kind of maybe dive a little bit more into like what you're seeing as mistakes and how someone like me and others can like actually stand out from the competition. How do we do that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've got some new interesting thoughts on this. First of all, just keen off of what you said. I mean, there's so much here. Jokes should be funny. Stop making these chuckly, somewhat <laughs> funny, like jokes, like the way you know the joke is funny, right? Watch, um, uh, you know, watch Chris Rock or yeah. Chappelle. People are laughing their ass off. Belly laughing. It's a funny joke. When people are, sh- are, are uncomfortably sh- you know, shuffling their chair, sort of groaning. That is not a joke, right? Now you feel like you filled the social uh, uh, space, you know, with a little bit of levity. But if you're going to tell a joke, right, 
and you want to prop up your position in the social layer cake, in the dominance hierarchy, right? The joke should be funny. That is a advanced, high, you know, appropriate and funny. That's a high functioning executive skill set. And so if you're going to tell a joke, that should be funny. So, uh, I mean, that's a pet peeve of mine is people, you know, giving these like groaners, uh, and, (laughs) you know, in their intros. So, uh, going back to your question, the, um, so some of the, the problems that people are having is uh, certainly winging it, right? Coming in and seeing what the audience is responding to and then adjusting their presentation to that response, right? Uh, that is not something that, uh, that in high stakes situations that I rarely see working, all right? Uh, and so having the, a sequence of things you're going to talk about that's a fit for that audience. I'm starting to call these unlock codes, right? So if you go to Sequoia, which is a venture firm, and uh, and you want to go present your app company to Sequoia, right? And uh, you are, you literally on the front page of their website, they'll go download this PowerPoint, put the startup application company that you have in this PowerPoint format. It's eight pages long, right? That's the unlock code to their money, right? They don't want to, that's the sequence. That's the sequence they want the information and that's the amount of um, uh, emphasis and detail they want in the order they want it. So you go to Sequoia and they pitch them. They go, oh, that's a great pitch. We'd love your app company, right? Now you turn around and you go to the National Institute of Science and you give them that same presentation. This is our mission. This is our vision. This is our founder. This is our pro forma. This is our cost to acquire a customer. This is our attrition rate. And the National Institute of Science goes, what, what the hell is this? This makes no <laughs> sense. So what is perfect for Sequoia to give you $3 million is not the unlock code for the National Institute of Science. But you have the same thing, right? Every company has the same stuff. You've got founders and you've got a product. Um, you've got a staff. You've got an office or not office. You have a customer avatar. You have a cost to acquire. Um, you have product features. You have product benefits. You have a product roadmap. Uh, you have a business plan. You have a, uh, a financial model. Right? It's, it's, uh, you have IP. You have all the same stuff. You have an organizational chart, organizational hierarchy. You have a mission. Every company, every project, every idea has all those things. But how you organize those things for different kinds of buyers or investors is your unlock code. So uh, you take it to Sequoia and it works, get you $3 million, right? You adjust it and put things in a different order. You take it to the National Institute of Science and what they care about is what science you're doing and they give you a grant for $250,000, right? You take that same presentation to Bank of America to get a lease for your new office and they go, what the hell is all this? Are you crazy? We don't want to know any of this stuff, right? Um, and so it's not the unlock code for Bank of America. So my question is, what is the unlock code, given that everybody has the same information? What's the sequence for that information for the buyer that you have? And that is my current thinking about um, uh, the mistakes people make going into a presentation is not sequencing information correctly. And I'll give you – a specific example. If you're an entrepreneur, what I see, I might see a thousand presentations a year. If you're an entrepreneur, you come in uh, and most of the time I see them start off with the team. This is our CEO. This is our team, right? Nobody really cares about the team until they fully understand. Yeah, teams are important and we follow teams and we invest in teams. That's great. But 
until I know what it is you're doing, what the value proposition is, what the product is, and what problem you solve, I'm not asking myself, who are the knuckleheads that are going to do this? I want to know what's going to be done and what problem you're solving before I know who's going to do it. So team is always backwards. I also see people start out in terms of sequencing now, right? What's the unlock code? I see people starting off with their solution. I really don't believe that buyers, investors, enterprise buyers, consumers, B2B uh, users, anybody wants to know what the solution is until they understand how difficult the problem is. Until people appreciate that you solve a really difficult problem, they're going to just continue looking for a cheaper or free solution until they finally realize that what you do is very, very hard to do. And when they believe that, then you're the go-to guy for them to do it. So this all falls under what sequence do you put the information in for the buyer you have? If you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for that enterprise customer, I strongly suggest you dwell on the problems that you know about and how difficult it is to solve those problems and uh, where you fit in the differentiation in your, you know, how different you are from the other people who do it. And, uh, and and that is how you sequence the information. Does that make sense, John? It makes sense. And it was such actually an aha moment to me when you said people need to know how difficult the problem is to solve. And if I can just keep that mindset and realize that that is what I'm presenting, you know, then it's just going to make so much more sense, number one, to me in creating this presentation. But number two, it's going to just be so much more appealing to the people receiving that information. And or something that you know we got to chat about a little bit pre-chat that I kind of want to bring to the surface now is you know we talked about how most entrepreneurs you know like like me and Tim and some other like really successful ones like we probably honestly have like one book in us like one really good book and I'm like currently busting my hump on on my book right now I'm trying to make that happen and that might honestly be my one book you know your book was pitch anything and you crushed it you dominated I mean again it's where it's why you are where you are today replacing Richard Branson et cetera et cetera. But what makes you special is is you know that you have more than one book and you really do. And so kind of take us to why you're you're taking this step into book number two and what this actually is going to mean. And, you know, it's not an easy process. So obviously you value your time. You know this is a worthy book to, to write. So take us through this process. Let us know what the deal is with this new project. Yeah. So uh, the new book is, you know, we haven't fully stabilized the title yet. But really, it's the working title, The User's Guide to Power. User's Guide to Power. And so I see among the, the thousands of entrepreneurs that I work with a misunderstanding of what power is, how to use it, where to get it, when it leaves you, when you give it back, when to give it away, when to expect it to come back to you, and what to use power for in terms of influence and getting the things you need. Because largely, uh, we have arrived into a egalitarian feeling society, right? Where there seems to be fairness, right? Um, but when you strip it away, life is really unfair. We're each very, very unevenly endowed to deal with the struggles that we're faced with in life. And so life is largely, if you use a power lens, uh, you can start to see really what it is you can control, where you can influence, where you don't have control, where you should try and exert influence using your power, and where you should not try 
at all. So I'm very, very fascinated by the acquisition and use of power. So where would Fire Nation go if they want to make sure they, they know if this book is, is live yet, like what the actual title is going to be? Like, do you have a specific URL? So easy to get it. So what you do is you hack into Random House's underground secure <laughs> server, right? Then you search around for the code name of the book, uh, um, and then, uh, you know, okay. <laughs> uh, with the, or, or alternatively, just go over to pitchanything.com and get on the list. Uh, I email the list with these kinds of things we're talking about here once a week. And, uh, and then, of course, I'll let the list know when the book is coming out, and anybody on the list will have way advanced chance to um, uh, to read the first chapter. And you know what's interesting about these lists, John? Let me just – I know we're uh, running short on time here. It's like you, you, sometimes when I sign up for a list, I'm like, oh, God. Right. Uh, you know, they're going to send me all this stuff, and then they're going to want me to buy something, right? And running a list – and I, you probably feel the same way. It's like I, I – can't figure out what is my weak material that's just good for emailing out for free and what's my best material. Because you sit down, right, and you have to write an email or you have to write a PDF or you have to – and everybody, I mean, me and and I've, Tim and, um, you know, and you and Mark and everybody, there's not like soft material and good material. Because when you sit down and you have to publish something, like you reach into your heart and you find the best stuff – because you want the most amount of people to fall in love with it. So on the list, you actually get book quality material. It's not printed. It hasn't been edited. But I, but on these, on these really good lists, Tim, you, you know, whoever, you're getting book quality material, you know, a couple times it's a true. week. So I do recommend signing up for them. And do that, Fire Nation, for sure. And Orrin, have you thought about maybe running a survey with your audience about this title if you have a couple, like, finalists? Uh, oh, that's a good idea, except here's the problem. When I, <laughs> when I published Pitch Anything, I can't remember what I wanted to call it, right? Like, uh, you, know what, you know what Tim Ferriss was going to call a four-hour work week before he ran a survey? No. How to make money in drugs. That's awesome. Because, yeah. you know, it was like supplements. Uh, but that was going to be his, like, catchy line, which, of course, would not be the four-hour work week. <laughs> I was going to call Pitch Anything, the crux of the biscuit is the apostrophe. Oh, that would not have worked. So, so my publisher goes, and we're not calling, you know, whatever it is I want to call it. The publisher goes, we're not calling it, <laughs> right? I go, oh, I got all these list of names. So I went and hired like a cover design firm and a yeah. game firm, right? Because my, my solution to problems is to throw money at them until they go away, <laughs> right? Uh, so I'm a money-burning machine. Like, come over, by the way, come visit our office. We're in Southern California. We got 6,000 square feet just off the beach, uh, right next to GoPro. It's amazing. We like, we have a workshop, a welding shop, motorcycles, cars, helicopters. It's amazing. Right. Um, but, but at the end of the day, what I do is I take a wheelbarrow full of money. I just burn it. Um, <laughs> so, so I want to, I want to name the book something. Uh, and the publisher goes, no, that's, that's not what we're calling it. Right. <laughs> I, I took a survey and I asked all my buddies and I hired a naming firm and I got a cover. He goes, this is not the cover and this is not the name. And I go, but it has to be like, you guys aren't doing it right. He goes, Orrin, settle down. I publish 10,000 books a year. How many books have you published? I go, well, this is my first book. <laughs> and he goes, okay, exactly. It's called Pitch Anything, and this is the cover. So <laughs> because of my experience having no power with the publisher and having a contract with them, uh, I haven't really taken a survey, but that, I, uh, I think I will try that. That is good advice. 
Well, all I can say is this, Fire Nation. If you are not thoroughly convinced that you need to get downloaded into your brain through his words, all of Orange genius, um, I don't know what to say. Y- you need to. So head over to pitchanything.com. Get on that mailer list. You're going to get the updates, the news. You're going to get his genius, his zone of fire. You're going to get his area of expertise, just those words. Get them. Consume the right content, not just any content, the right content. Orn, we are not going to wait another 1,450 episodes to have you back on. That, I promise you, my friend. In fact, probably when the book has like been live for a few months and you're like, you know what? I need another little jolt of some sales to get to get a little up on the Amazon ranking. We'll bring you back on. Fire Nation is going to go rabbit over it. They'll love it. I'll love it. And uh, we'll, we'll make it happen, brother. One quick comment. Let's see how much they love it when episodes uh, 1501 through 1789 are all Orrin Claft. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Well, listen, brother, it has been great as always. You're a rock star. And Fire Nation, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You've been hanging out with OK and JLD today. So just keep up the heat. And Orrin, thank you for sharing your journey with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Hey, Fire Nation, hope you enjoyed our chat with Orrin today and head over to pitchanything.com. Get on that newsletter list, up your game, make it happen, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Quick question for all the marketers listening. What's your address? My friend Billy Jean wants to send you something in the mail. It's small, blackish, and if used properly, it might deliver some serious ROI for the next 100 listeners who go to copyourads.com. Billy Jean is going to mail you his best performing Facebook funnels for free. You just cover the shipping. Copyourads.com.